0: This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi.
1: Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at Dig Union or DMOUnion.com. Jay, it's a listener suggestion episode. Back in the groove. Yep. This week, the 12-month anniversary of one Mr. James Stelter. He could not make it for this particular episode, so he gave us his Pick, and you might remember uh, his pick from last year. No, Lusk. He picked Lusk. That's what it was. Oh,
0: okay. Wow, Lusk was a year ago. Yes. Oh my god. What do you think? That, we, like, like three weeks ago. that's blowing my mind. Yeah, it feels like it was three months ago. <laughs> like legitimately, if you would ask me, how, when when did we do the Lusk review? I always said three months ago.
1: Nope, oh, August of wow. last year. I think August of last year, around that around that time. Yeah. So this year, you went with something a little bit different, but equally, I would say, lesser known. It's the band Juno and their 1999 album, This Is The Way It Goes and Goes and Goes. It was released on DeSoto Records in March of 99, They only put out one other album, which was A Future Lived in Past Tense. That came out in 2001. Uh, Just a quick history. They're from Seattle, Washington. They formed in 95. Uh, The band had, there there was a number of different members. The main group was Arlie Carstens, Gabe Carter, Jason Geyer, Greg Ferguson, they went through a number of bass players, including, um, at one point, Nate Mendel from Sunday Real Estate was the bass player, and uh, Nick Harmer, who was in Death Cab for Cutie. Um, But they were a three-guitar band. So that's an interesting little bit of info. Not a lot of three-guitar bands. A lot of two-guitar bands, a lot of one-guitar bands. Not a ton of three guitar bands.
0: I was wondering about that when I listened to the record. Okay, cool.
1: There you go. Uh, they broke up in two thousand three. After after this album, they had some bass player switcheroos for a while. Um, Travis oh. Saunders was the original bass player. He left after this record, and then they that was when Nate Mendel and Nick Harmer were bass players for different periods of time for the second record and then uh they reunited in 2006 for a couple shows but they've pretty much have called it quits of ever playing again. So just these two records and then a bunch of singles they came out um they also did a split single um in 2000 with uh the Dismemberment Plan which is an interesting combination and they covered for the for the uh, each covered a song, they did one original and one cover for this EP. They covered DJ Shadows High Noon and Dismemberment Plan covered the song Crush by Jennifer Page. Which, do you remember Crush? No, that was like a 90s pop single. Okay, so v- small discography from this band, only together for a couple of years. Had you heard of them previously before this review?
0: I own both the records. Oh, well, well. I think uh, me, uh, Future Lived, I might have on actual physical CD. Mm-hmm. And at some point I came about the uh, the record we were reviewing. It was in my library.
1: Very nice. I was familiar with the band from people talking about them. I don't think I really ever spent much time with the record, so this is a bit newer for me, but I knew the name, and I kind of knew what they sounded like—not um not entirely, but I, I I guessed based on who liked them and what they also liked. And I remember them getting written up in you know music mags and in the, at the end of the nineties and two thousands. So James gave us a bunch of comments for this episode. I'm not going to read all of them right now, but I'm going to read some of them, and then I'll sprinkle in some of the other comments. So he says, my first exposure to Juno wasn't this album. It was the 2001 follow-up of Future Lived in Past Tense. I think that's why I never associate Juno as a 90s band, though they were around for a few years before releasing their debut. This is the way it goes and goes and goes in 1999. The fascination for me started with reading a review of a Future Lived, maybe in CMJ. It mentioned Juno having three guitars, a guest spot from Nate Mendel of Sunny Day Real Estate of Foo Fighters fame, And Sunny Day Real Estate and Foo Fighters fame. And they were also on DeSoto Records, Label Mates of Shiner. I was sold. I got a future lived first, but then I quickly picked up. This is the way it goes also. So the rest of his comments are on specific songs. So we'll talk about those as they come up. And then um, he has his overall review in there as well. So we didn't have any comments over at Patreon, which I was surprised. I thought a few people i thought of our community would have been familiar with this record and chimed in it's i don't think it's is it on apple music i don't think it's on um spotify
0: uh the problem i found is uh there's a lot of artists named juno oh that's yeah <laughs> so if it is on apple music uh, i wouldn't know because i i searched for it and it was in my library already and i didn't bother but i did notice there's a a lot of artists with this name
1: right and i had the mp3s so i'm guessing it's been a, maybe a little while since you've listened to this record do you or do you bust this out all the time
0: oh no it's been a while
1: okay so revisiting it now jay tell mm-hmm. me something you liked about the album this is the way it goes and goes and goes but you know
0: yeah i always thought i always thought this band was from dc um it has a little bit of a i guess a mix of like some post hardcore sounds like maybe the, some of the playing style, Mm -hmm. but then tonally it's very lush and like, almost a swerve driver ish kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, I like how thick and textured it is, but it still has a lot of really distinct separation. The guitars pretty incredible. Uh, When you're listening to the record, you definitely hear three guitar parts, not just you know, texturing or layering, it's, the, you know, there are sections of the songs where it's distinctly three parts, mm-hmm. which is really hard to do and to do it in a way where it sounds cohesive and big and it doesn't turn into a washy mess. Uh, so I really do like that it has a bit of this shoegaze kind of thing with the amount of distortion and reverb and delay there to use at times, but mm-hmm. it doesn't get. Uh, it doesn't become like a wash of noise. You can still pull everything out. You still hear three guitars. You still hear bass. You still hear really well produced and performed drums. Even the vocal, which is uh, not, I mean, he's a good singer. I I like his voice, but it's not like uh, the kind of voice that's going to soar naturally above music. Um, You know, a lot of times tonally, he's in the same range as the guitars are but you can still pull it out cl- clearly and, and crisply. So uh, I really love just d- digging into all of the nuance and the layers and the way the guitars play against each other. I think in you know a lot of other bands doing this type of thing, you you don't always get to appreciate that. And I think the way that to, the sonically this is put together and just how well considered it is, you really get to enjoy all the performances and all the textures. um, And it just doesn't become like one giant blob of distortion. Um, So I think that's the thing I liked most about it.
1: Uh, I back you up on that. I think uh, the way I put it is this works for me as an album in terms of its ebb and flow, its peaks and valleys. It has songs that are up-tempo like January Arms and Rodeo Programmers and stuff that has... Energy, but then it's got this great, you know, like you mentioned, shoegaze, but not in the sense of the blistering wall of distortion that Kevin Shields is known for. It's a little bit more in the dreamy side of when Swerve Driver will like bliss out for a little while or Lush or one of those bands. And there's a, I think, uh from the beginning of All Your Friends Are Comedians to the five minute mark or plus of leave a camp, leave a clean camp and a dead fire. There's like a 15 minute block where there is no vocal. Yeah. And it's great. I, I love it because it just yeah. right at the center of the record. It's just like, we're going to let the guitars crescendos and the dynamics and everything that we do. Well, we're going to let all that speak for itself for 15 minutes and just play And it's so refreshing to hear that so many, so much of what I listen to now, there's, there is no, not no, but there's, there can be sometimes a lack of just letting the music play and letting, and letting the, the talents of the musicians just sort of take over. And I just, I just love that they left that like huge 15 minute, you know, block in the middle of the record. And there's a lot of great moments. Um, for me like the highlight is venus on ninth street i love the slide guitar on that song i love the harmony stuff that's going on with the with the female vocal and the chorus it's just i mean it sounds like uh it could have been a wig song i hate to always bring up the, the wigs but with that slide guitar like it reminded me of something like
0: that yeah
1: just there's a a number of points on the record where all those guitar parts that are going on that are not clashing they're complementing each other are just it's so much fun to have the headphones on and just listen to everything that's going on and it's nice that like you mentioned like it's not abrasive so it, you don't ever get like taken out of it while you're listening it's a nice flow through the record well through most of the record I've one nitpick that we'll get to. Yeah, this is a, it's, I really enjoyed this record in in a way that I had, I have not remembered this band in a, you know, in any constructive way. I just remember, oh, they were a guitar band, kind of, you know, indie. (laughs) That was like it. Yeah. So I do have, like I mentioned, I have one nitpick. I don't like the way that this record starts.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. The opening track is a, doesn't do a whole lot to uh to set the record up
1: that should be the closing track
0: yeah i agree
1: i would be totally fine but if you had it start with into the lavender with that drum part totally starts the record in a different vibe
0: oh wait into the lavender what's that track two for me is rodeo Pro- programmers
1: uh no i have into the lavender crevices of evening the others have been pushed
0: uh-oh do I? Am I missing a track? I got to look this up now. Wait a minute. Maybe I have a. Oh, apparently on the record. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No. Wikipedia has the track listing. I have.
1: Oh, that's part of the first. Maybe my songs are mislabeled.
0: Oh right, wait. You know what? No. Hold on a second. No. Yeah. I'm, yeah you know I'm what?
1: My, I, yeah. I'm, my songs are mislabeled because the song that I said that I like, Venus, a <laughs> Ninth Street, is actually a Listening Ear.
0: I just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were talking about slide. and I was like, I don't think the slides on that song, but, but
1: oh, you go I never. I mean, I didn't I didn't look at Wikipedia until tonight. That's interesting. OK, so scratch everything I said about any song before this. <laughs> it should start with Rodeo Programmers. That's where the, that's where the album should start. And I like Venus on Ninth Street and I like. A listening I like as far as uptempo, Venus on Ninth Street and then also the slide on a listening ear. But I think that, that the Great Salt Lake slash into the lavender crevices should be the last track. It just it just sets up the record so wrong with that spoken word dirge that's going on. And I'm like yeah. I want that that I wanna like know what's going on. The first time I listened to it, I was like, uh oh. Yeah. What is this? What's going on? He winks to the light, trying to force its way around
0: the edges of the blanket. He's thrown up in front of the window. is painted a somber yellow gold. And in the dark, there's a soft, formless shade of nothing. He thinks this is where I'm coming from. The dark suits me. The disaster of course, boom. Yeah, I mean, they, they do a good job making, uh, creating music beds. So even stuff like that, it's, you know, if, if you're in for the whole record, it, it's, it's fine. Like you get through it and, it and it all, like you can zone out and come back and it's okay. Um, it's not like the spoken word is a little annoying, uh, kind of pulls you out of the record. Um, but musically, I think it's coherent with the rest of it. It's just not a good way to start. That's that's the part I questioned.
1: Yeah, it just doesn't you don't get a sense of what the record is.
0: No. Like cuz they
1: don't t- take that approach vocally anywhere else. Right, um, that's the point. That's th- that's the thing is like, okay, if that was like the middle song on the record or the last song on the record, okay, you can get away with that. You do something weird like that, but to open the album with that spoken word part is it's jarring. And then they don't come back to it. I mean, maybe if they had done, made it two minutes long and then do it again for two minutes at the end of the record. Sort of like act as bookends. Maybe that would have worked better for me. But as it is, I just, after I listened to the record a couple times, I just started skipping the first song. Yeah. And just going through tracks two through ten. Yeah, that makes sense. It just did not work for me at all. And so much of the record does. I mean, I was actually really shocked at like every song, even the ones that are 8 9 minutes. I I can find something really interesting to grab onto. And it was nice to hear a lot of the, you know, within there it, it wasn't just 8 minutes of droning like it reminded me of listening to like explosions in the sky how they'll it'll, you know, build a big crescendos and they can do it just based on music and don't have to have you know, vocals driving the song.
0: Yeah. And, and that's the reason why this works better than maybe some other albums that I think we've reviewed that, um, are a little, I don't know, indulgent, progressive, uh, expansive, longer songs, maybe, uh, instrumental, uh, these, these songs go somewhere, you know, the, they, they pay off in some place or another, of uh, most of them. Um, so even though it's eight minutes, you know, um, uh, you're on the journey for the most part. I think some of them start a little slow or take a little, you know, maybe a minute or two too long to, to really get into the, uh, you know, a compelling part. Mm-hmm. But by consistently by two minutes in, you know, they're establishing something melodic and interesting. And then on on a couple of them, you know, you take some wild turns towards the end, uh, where they, you know, really either pick up tempo, like literally they push the tempo up, which is kind of cool to hear, like progressively over a course of a couple minutes to, you know, just full on wall of guitars. But even when they do that, I love the, uh, let me find my notes here, January Arms. So by the time that you get to the end of that song, it's this big wall of guitars. But when you listen to it sonically, especially with headphones, the guitars are really like floating up above uh, and the drums are kind of pulled back, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It kind of messes with your head because when you hear something that loud, you think everybody in the band's like bashing, but when mm-hmm. you really step back and listening sonically, you know, the guitars are distorted and they've got a lot of delay and they're creating all these harmonics off each other and stuff. But when you listen to the drums are actually pretty, like they're played halftime and he's not hitting super hard. It's, he's It's not. You know, playing jazz, but it's not like he's bashing cymbals. And then somehow the vocal is able to still cut through all that, which to me is amazing. Just again, like I said, on his, his tone, you would think he would have difficulty mixing his voice in a way that uh, just didn't get lost. And it does a great job of not only can you hear it, but it doesn't take over either. It's weird. Like It's like the, the vocal – plays a role and it's compelling and melodic but it's doesn't ever overshadow the music that makes sense like yeah you know what i mean like sometimes you most you know rock music that's produced to be anywhere accessible you know that you're going to put an emphasis on the vocal almost to the to making the music secondary and or we've listened to a lot of records where it's like why is there even vocals on this like there's no point in even having them because the music is really what's compelling um they find this balance where it, it, it's all complementing each other i guess you know mm-hmm. the vocals helping the music the music's helping the vocal it's all coming together into one cohesive thing which is not always easy to do especially with this kind of music <laughs>
1: interesting you know think about this released in 99 and there's this you mentioned it earlier this element of shoegaze and i started thinking back about like what was going on outside of sort of the mainstream of in the early 2000s of alternative rock um and it seemed like there were a number of bands that were turning to that were i guess you'd say like post-hardcore that we're integrating some shoegaze sounds. I was think, I'm thinking of bands like My Vitriol and yeah. Amusement Parks on Fire. That was a band that this reminded me of. Yeah. And it seemed like there was some sort of a movement at the end of the 2000s where people said I like the big wall of guitar sound with the sh- with shoegaze, but I just want to dial down th- the caustic end of it. Yep and and utilize, you know, the more pleasant end and, and still have that big, beefy, noisy sound, but just don't make it so it sounds like a buzzsaw. And um, I didn't really think about it at the time. I just thought there were just different, you know, disparate bands that were doing their own thing, but sort of arriving at a similar sound. But now I'm wondering if, like, if a band like Juno was... You know, DeSoto, it wasn't a huge label, but it was a respected label that put out a a number of cool bands. So I wonder if that was somewhat influential. Because like I mentioned my vitriol, they were a UK band. They were not a US band. So I don't know if they were checking out a band like this. But I could totally see this as a band where people would, you know, Shoegaze was kind of dead by the late 90s. Yeah.
0: You
1: know, all those bands changed their sound.
0: I would consider Shiner in this same ballpark too, which you know they they brought in elements of that 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 big sound and that kind of wall of um, maybe a little less delay, but there were some moments on the, this band reminded me quite a bit of them as well. They were label mates, you know. I I could definitely see um, you know this influencing kind of. You know, the way that the UK and the US have done where, you know, passing influences back and forth, I could see that. And and just also, you know, think about bands like Cave In and then, Mm -hmm. you know, we saw, I think from that point forward, a lot of bands just expand, like taking those influences of of shoegaze and post hardcore and turning it into a whole new things, which you know, I, I think it's fair to say this band was sort of on the forefront of like blending or extending what those genres could be.
1: Now what's interesting is in uh, Discogs they're also tagged as math rock.
0: I didn't that's a, get That's a that. genre I don't get. <laughs> well I guess I'll say the um, let's see what song is it? Leave a Clean Camp and Dead Fire. That's the song that definitely has the tempo shift like they're literally like they can't be possibly be using a click track through the course of the song they just continue to play faster and faster and faster which I don't know if that's math rock but technically that's that's not easy to do well mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and keep everybody locked up because they are very locked up through that whole song uh, to the point where you know it's full throttle at the end you know the tempo is probably you know twice what it was but they slowly progress there um so i i could see some aspects but i honestly i'm not even sure i, I understand what math rock is just when i f- think i figured it out i'm i'm lost again
1: i always thought it was more tricky time signatures and more um i don't know just
0: experimentation and yeah, i mean it's progressive yeah but indie,
1: yeah like uh you know somebody who listened to like king crimson and then forms a indie rock band <laughs> that sort of thing yeah so i didn't get I, I didn't feel like overall i mean there might have been you know like you said like one or two songs that utilize some progressive elements but i i wouldn't say to me they're not a straight up math rock or progressive rock band no just,
0: i mean i think uh, to me shiners more mathy than even they are um yeah you know it's more subtle it's not as in your face but there are some very dramatic you know changes in dynamics and uh, pretty adventurous, you know. Use of uh, rhythm and really, uh, I think syncopation and like how the guitars like offset each other and play different parts, but somehow it all comes together and works. You know, when when you really break them down, you're like, the parts are very different, uh, and usually that just creates a lot more uh, dissonance than it does on this record. Right, for this band, I'm 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 shocked they're able to put three together three guitars together and be this diverse in their parts and have the
1: work Let me get to some of Jim's comments uh, regarding the songs on the record, that we, some of them which we've covered. Um, he said, Juno knows how to hook me in. Hearing the cling guitar, noisy atmospherics, and distorted monologue that starts the Great Salt Lake is captivating. It's a beautiful instrumental that sets the tone, cautiously warning us that rock and roll will never die, but maybe it deserves to. The song fades away. Life takes you where it goes. So he actually likes the intro track. And he says, and then a complete 180 shift, punchy drums start off Rodeo Programmers. It's one of several short, full-on rock and roll songs that contradict the previous warning. All Your Friends Are Comedians and Venus on 9th Street are their highlights. Precise, catchy, in and out within three minutes. These were some of the first songs Juno wrote a few years prior to the the album's release. Yeah, so some of these songs were on 7 Inches that they put out prior to this. Actually. I don't know if it's the exact same recording or if they re-recorded them for the album so they'd all have the same sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, what I, mo- what I like most about Junor are their dynamics. They perfectly blend tight, direct rock songs with spacious instrumentation. Half the songs per- surpass seven minutes, yet it never feels excessive. They can capture different ranges of sounds throughout a song, and it never feels forced. Leave a clean camp and a dead fire was an instant favorite just the way it effortlessly builds over the course of 10 minutes laying on different sounds and picking up speed until Arlie releases all the tension yelling out a fervent go and the song explodes. Um, January Arms follows that same dynamic slow with subtle intricacies each instrument brightly standing on its own and then everything melds together into a classic Juno breakdown. It's the longer songs that I gravitate Gravitate to a listening ear features a haunting duet with Jen Wood and a slide solo that is pure bliss. When the song drops out at 4 30, leaving only a pulsing bass line, gentle guitar, and vulnerable harmonies, only to have everything kick back in to full swing. Two minutes later, it's my favorite part of the album. That is a cool part. I like I like when everything drops out and you just get those the vocal harmonies together. Yeah. That feeling continues on the C looked like Lead, a hypnotic slow burn that goes on for eight minutes but could go on forever. It's these types of Juno songs I get lost in, repetitive yet just enough nuance to keep the listener surprised and engaged with a big, goofy grin on my face. So he has positive things to say about much of this record, which makes sense since he picked it.
0: Um, Weird how that works out. Yeah. So I'm looking at a math rock diorama or a diagram here. Uh, apparently, according to this on Reddit, the math rock flowchart, it all starts with Slint, uh, and quickly branches to either Shellac.
1: Yeah, I know Shellac is
0: Bitch Magnet, Cap and Jazz. I'm looking for some other bands that we reviewed. Chavez is on here, I could hear that for the yeah. uh, at least sounding like this band, Polvo.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah,
0: definitely Polvo american football so you know it gets a little bit like emo-y in here too somewhere and that's why to me math rock is weird because it just it blends all over the place right to me these are either post hardcore emo or just alternative bands i don't know tim
1: i don't know either and i was trying to you know i was thinking about this in terms of okay 99 this came out on desoto i remember shiner making some noise very briefly not really radio noise but just in terms of getting coverage i yeah. don't really remember this getting i know there's like an all music review and some blogs around the time that were that existed but i don't remember this getting much pub and i, I can't really see this as being a, a radio band in any way it's just it's a little too smart to be honest like there there's a lot of stuff going on and it would just be too dense for the radio. I think.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, um, boy, I would love to live in a world where all your friends are comedians could be on the radio, but we don't live in that world. Nope. Or at least, <laughs> uh, not on commercial radio. So yeah, let's talk You're- about where the album,
1: better EP or decent single. Now James says, I've never made a list of Desert Island albums. However, if I did, this is the way it goes and goes and goes would be on it. A timeless classic. So I'm going to put that down wow. as a worthy album from Mr. James Stelter.
0: Uh, I'm not a worthy album. I, don't, I feel like I haven't given one in a while. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you've been on a so, tough streak. I know. Sorry. You even uh, had a single
1: in there at one point.
0: I know. Um, I, 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 Were the album. I, I don't know that it's a desert Island album, but, uh, I enjoyed going back and listen to it. I think it sounds really still sounds fresh, well-produced, well-performed, um, creative. Uh, I, I think I have to be in the mood for it at this point in my life. Um, it's great to put on a work too. Um, there's a couple, three, three rockers that I think, uh, James pointed out earlier that you can probably throw on a a playlist and they'll pop and have a lot of fun. I think the stuff that, you know, the eight minute stuff, you you really have to, I think be in that mindset and being, you know, prepared for the, for the full album experience. Um, but, uh, I think it's a worthy album. I think it holds up well together. Um, despite the slow start.
1: I agree with you a hundred percent. I think this is a worthy record and cut the first song and the rest, the nine other songs, hold up perfectly so i think we're in the same boat as far as that goes so it's been a while since we've both been worthy records rare agreement on our part of uh recent times so we need to thank james yeah we need to thank james for this pick i hope people will get a chance to uh check it out however they can i was just looking on uh discogs and They did release this on vinyl at the time, only in Europe, and it is not possible to (laughs) to get a copy.
0: Is it on Spotify?
1: Um, I don't think so. Spotify
0: tends to be a little more indie friendly. Let's see. Oh, geez. Yeah, when you search Juno, you get everything. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah, like hundreds of artists.
1: No, I think you have to search the album title, and it's not there.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Because there's too
1: many, too many Juno artists, so you're never going to find it that way. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, you'd have to go to, like, YouTube, and there's probably a playlist on YouTube that somebody has uploaded yeah. um, to be able to listen to it. But it's definitely a worthy record that people should check out. Thank you, James, for picking this, and thank you for supporting the podcast. Thank you to all our patrons who support the podcast every month with their... Dollars, which help us keep the podcast and our huge archive up and free. If you'd like to uh, join our union, you can go to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com and be a part of it. I just mailed out a whole bunch of stickers this week. There was a bunch, a bunch of people getting their union stickers in the mail.
0: Yeah, I got a t-shirt to send out. Yep. And...
1: If you like what you heard, you can leave us some positive feedback over at iTunes. How about that? So, be on the lookout—or not the lookout. If you are a—if uh, you're a patron, there's going to be an '80s episode coming up soon. And if you're not a patron, if you want to listen to our '80s episodes, you got to be a patron.
0: Do you know what we're doing?
1: I do. What is it? You want me to—you want me to spoil it? it?
0: Yeah. It's People a little made it this far on the episode. Give him a little treat.
1: Little band called the Birthday Party.
0: I've now okay, not you know, familiar. You're
1: not familiar. Okay, yeah. You'll be. I'll be. I'll be curious. This is the first time. I feel like we're getting into something that's like really going to be questionable in terms of whether it's ever entered your wheelhouse. Like we, the stuff we've done before. You know, Neil Young and the Cars. And we did the Max Q record, which is connected to NXS. Like, it's got some aspects where we're like, okay, we know what this is. Yeah. I think the only one that's really maybe thrown us for a loop was that Vapor's record, which was the first one. And we already knew the single. So, yeah, this one, it's I think it's going to be a good episode just because I don't know what you're going to, how you're going to react to it. I'm familiar with the band, which we'll get into when we record. Okay, uh, but is it good? I'm not. I'm not telling you anything. <laughs> okay, You're it's not. It's not. A, it? It's not a good or bad thing. There's. There's just some interesting stuff. I mean, you know, if the record connects with you, that's that's your own, you know, preferences. But there's, you need to do do. I would do a, a Wikipedia on the band so you can learn about them. Because
0: it's I never do that. I like to learn from you.
1: Oh, okay. I don't want to be your only source of information.
0: I, I'm a, I listen. I give it a blind listen, man. I go in. No, if I don't have any context, I keep it that way, and then it all comes out here I'll, I'll on the pu- show.
1: I'll put it. To you, I'll just say this because people probably know this who have listened to the birthday party. The original members include Nick Cave. Uh, okay. And the, guitar, the guy who ended up playing guitar with in the Bad Siege, Mick Harvey, who was the producer on the record we just did, uh, uh, The Cruel Sea.
0: I see, I see. Yeah. I see where you're going with this.
1: Right. So, yeah. So, Australians. Yep. Yes, indeed,
0: sir. So this is our i our second Australian uh 80s album. Yes it is. We've only reviewed what six and two are Australian. <laughs> There's a strong
1: Australian contingent in our I love it in our uh, I also want you to I you have to look at the you have to review the album cover. All right. I'm just it's important. You don't have to talk about it now just saying when we do when we do the episode all right it's the birthday party's junkyard
0: oh i see mhm so if you
1: want to hear jay's graphic design comments on the birthday party's junkyard album cover be sure to turn into our october 80s episode and that's it for us on this episode for jay i'm tim we're out and we'll be back next week with another Episode of Dig Me Out.
0: Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com.